0: Convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash gold. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today we got the government's first estimate of GDP growth for the first quarter of 2017. And if you remember, the Atlanta Fed had been steadily reducing its estimate for first quarter growth since February 1st of this year, when it was estimating 3.4% GDP growth. And the last downward revision happened yesterday as a result of more weak economic data, particularly on inventories that came out yesterday. The Atlanta Fed made its final revision to the estimate for Q1, at least the estimate that we got today. And they were down to 0.2, 02 the lowest it had been now the consensus for q1 had also come down but not nearly as quickly or as or as much as the atlanta fed but going into this morning the consensus estimate was for 1.1% gdp growth which would be a sharp you know reduction in the 2.1% gdp growth that the government claims we had in the fourth quarter of last year And the range of forecast went from a high of 1.7 to a low of 0.7. Nobody was quite as low as the Atlanta Fed. Well, we got the actual number this morning, and it was 0.7, 0.7. So the Atlanta Fed was a little bit too pessimistic. But, you know, this is just the first estimate. If you look at the economic data that has been coming out this year, the later the data comes, the worse it is. So if that trend continues over the next month, as the government continues to get additional data from which to figure out Q1 GDP, there's a very good chance that they're going to revise this number down. And maybe the Atlanta Fed's 2.2% will end up being correct, or maybe it'll end up being too optimistic. I think there's still a good chance that by the time they get the final revision of this done, And that's not going to happen for another couple of months. I mean, the the second quarter will almost be over by the time we get the final estimates for Q1. We could end up with a negative number for Q1 very easily. And personally, I I think the second quarter will be even weaker than the first quarter. So if we end up with a negative number for the first quarter, we're probably definitely going to get a negative number in the second quarter. Which means by the time we get the negative number, if the second quarter is pretty much over, and it was also negative, then we're actually in a recession. We would have completed two quarters of negative GDP growth without anybody uh, realizing that it was even coming, let alone that we were already in it. In fact, thus far, the Federal Reserve has not changed its rhetoric at all to try to dampen expectations for additional rate hikes later this year, even though the Fed is supposedly data dependent and the data that they claim to depend on has collapsed They're acting as if nothing has changed. The question is, will they continue to act like that over the next several months as more and more bad economic data comes out? You know, again, I get a lot of uh, crap from people, particularly, you know, in the media. Not that I'm on that often. But with respect to the fact that I had made predictions that the Federal Reserve was not going to be able to raise interest rates. And, and one of the reasons that I believe that they wouldn't raise rates was I thought that they would use the weakening economic data as an excuse not to raise rates, that they can hide behind that. In fact, that's why they always left that caveat out there that nothing was on a preset course, that it was all dependent on the data, and the data would have to come in in line with their estimates, which it has not done. I mean, I was confident that the data would be weak, and I was right. The data has been very weak. Yet the Fed has ignored all that weak data and they've raised interest rates anyway, though they've raised them minimally, right? They've done the littlest that they could basically get away with and still pretend that everything is fine. I mean, that's one of the reasons that they ignored all the weakening data because they hoped that maybe by ignoring it, it would go away. If they kept pretending that everything was good and proof that they thought everything was good was the fact that they were raising rates and maybe they thought psychologically— that they could impact the markets. But I still believe that my underlying assessment was correct, they've barely raised rates. And the reason they've barely done it was because the economy, the bubble economy that they inflated could not withstand uh, normal rate hikes. And the proof is that here we are, Q1 GDP, this is the weakest growth in three years for a quarter. And I, I bet it's gonna be weaker than this. Why is GDP growth so weak? Well, one reason is because they've raised rates even though they've barely raised them. Imagine how deep in recession we'd already be if the Fed had delivered uh, the three or four rate hikes in 2016 that the markets believed were coming at the end of 2015. We only got one rate hike, but despite the fact that we've only got, what now, three rate hikes of 25 basis points, we're not even back to 1% yet, but despite that, we're probably already in a recession. And of course, the recession was inevitable, because none of the problems that led to the Great Recession and the financial crisis were solved. they were all exacerbated. We simply uh, you know, delayed the day of reckoning until a future date, which you know we are now arriving at that future. You know by the way, the weakest component of the GDP was consumer spending. I think this is the weakest consumer spending growth. I mean, consumer spending was up, but just by a tiny fraction, of a percent. It was the smallest increase in consumer spending in about seven years. You got to go back to 2009, right, during the last recession uh, to find a number this week uh, for consumer spending. Another interesting fact is that if you look at the weakness in GDP for the quarter, there hasn't been a quarter this week in which the Federal Reserve raised interest rates Since 1980, you're talking about 37 years. This is the weakest quarter in 37 years in which a data-dependent Fed raised interest rates. You would think, gee, if they're really data-dependent, why would they raise rates in such a weak quarter? Now, you could say, well, they didn't realize the quarter was going to be so weak when they raised them. Okay, then why haven't they communicated to the market that maybe that rate hike was a mistake? that maybe they should take it back, right? Because they thought the economy was going to grow at 3%. Instead, it barely grew you know, at all, yet they're not going to admit that they made any kind of mistake. As far as the Fed is concerned, the data is exactly what they expected. I mean, the data is matching their expectations, which is why they raised rates and which is why they are planning on continuing to raise rates. You know another disturbing part of the number, at least disturbing if you look at it correctly, is the GDP uh, deflator, the price index. Now, um, last quarter prices rose 2.1 percent on an annualized basis, again according to the government, and they were supposed to rise by 2 percent uh, this uh, this quarter. Instead, they rose by 2.3 percent. So 0.3% above expectations and 0.2% above the prior quarter. So growth was much less than forecast, while inflation was significantly higher than forecast. And that trend should be disturbing and it will continue, meaning that economic growth will stagnate or vanish and consumer prices will continue to rise. And of course, this is actually a dilemma for the Fed uh, because... They're looking for price stability, which they have now redefined as prices going up 2% a year, which to me is hardly stable, but that's their new uh, benchmark. But now we're looking at 2.3% annualized rate and climbing. You know, it's not going to stop here. It's going to keep going up. Uh, But growth is going going to fall. Now, you know, we've been ignoring all this. I mean, if you look at the dollar, if you look at the gold market, you know, They've pretty much been shrugging off all of this weaker than expected data. I mean, the dollar index was uh, lower this morning before the data came out, then it rallied positive. It, it closed down slightly, 99.04. You know, maybe there were some people expecting weaker data than the data that we got because, after all, the Atlanta Fed was down to 0.2, but the consensus was still far above the 0.7 that we got. But nonetheless, the weak data was ignored. Gold was only up about four or five percent on the day—a very, very small move. But you know, importantly, gold is still holding above twelve sixty. Which, if you recall from earlier podcasts, twelve sixty used to be the resistance, and then it had a correction uh, from that level, and you know, solidly held, and it. it didn't even get below twelve hundred. And uh, now, you know, it's at 1267 right now. So gold, the gold market itself is looking very strong. The only thing that's been looking weak have been the gold stocks, which, you know, have surrendered a lot of the rally back that they had. And so they're pretty much very close to the lows that they hit uh, when gold was at its low point in this correction. Then, of course, gold went up and made a new high for the year. Gold stocks did not. Gold's pulled back ever so slightly. I mean, barely down 1%, and the gold stocks have pretty much lost the entirety of their rally, even though the rally wasn't even strong enough to get back to where they were uh, before the most recent correction. And in fact, gold stocks were up a little bit today. They still managed to sell off into the close. They still closed positive on the day, uh, but well off the high of the day, even though the gold itself closed right on the high of the day. So again, still a lot of uh, skepticism. A wall of worry in this gold bull market as evidenced by where the gold stocks are relative to the price of gold i still think this means it's a screaming buy for these gold stocks i mean gold stocks are barely up uh year to date uh relative to the price of gold in fact they're up less the price of gold is up more than the value of gold stocks it's almost, it's almost twice as much i mean it's not quite that bad but normally you know, gold, if gold's up 13% on the year, for example, you wouldn't expect gold stocks to be up 6 or 7%. I mean, I forget the exact number, but you would expect maybe a 30% increase, 40% increase in gold stocks if we get a 13% uh, increase in the price of gold, especially when the increase is unexpected. Because believe me, everybody was negative on gold at the end of last year. People thought the gold price was going to sell off because, you know, the economy was improving. Trump was elected. He was going to make America great again. The Fed was going to have to raise rates more. Uh, So rate hikes, strong economy. You know, it was supposed to undermine the case for gold, yet gold rallied anyway, and the gold stocks barely budged because investors just do not believe this rally. Well, you know, another thing that is going to happen that is going to propel gold much higher and the dollar much lower is something that I have been talking about and forecasting for years. And it really looks like it is playing out because what has driven the dollar higher over the past several years, it's not only the belief that the Fed's policies worked and that the Fed was going to be able to normalize interest rates and shrink its balance sheet, but it also had to do with a policy divergence between the Fed and the other major central banks, particularly the European Central Bank, which was stuck with negative interest rates, They were still doing a quantitative easing. And so the divergence was supposed to be that the Federal Reserve was tightening while the ECB was easing. And so it was that divergence, right? The Federal Reserve tightening monetary policy, the ECB or maybe the BOJ or other central banks continuing to ease. It was that divergence that was going to favor the dollar. And that was why the flows were going to be into the dollar, it wasn't just that there was a positive differential between our rates and European rates, but it was the trajectory of rates. We were going to be going tighter. Our rates were going to be rising. Europe was going to be stuck in the mud. They weren't going to raise rates. They were going to continue doing QE. And what I was saying all along was that the markets were going to be surprised, because what I thought what was going to happen was the opposite divergence. I thought that at some point, the ECB would begin to tighten as a result of inflation moving above their 2% ceiling, while at the same time, the Fed would actually be easing, they would begin an easing campaign. So the Fed, I thought was next to the end of its tightening cycle. And the ECB was nearing the end of its easing cycle. And so the real policy divergence that we are headed to is where the ECB is tightening, right? And you know, Anything that communicates that they're tapering QE or that there's winding down the QE program. I mean, they don't even actually have to raise rates to start the tightening campaign. Just like in the U.S., we didn't start tightening with the first rate hike. I mean, we were closer to the end, I thought, with the first rate hike. We started tightening when they started talking about tapering, not even when they started to taper. It was when they talked about tapering that they were tightening. And then they finally got around to tapering. That was expanding the tightening so i think the ecb is going to move to a tightening rhetoric tightening bias and they may even start raising rates depending on how quickly the inflation rate accelerates in europe we'll see you know what they have to do but in any event they're going to be tightening meanwhile the fed is going to be communicating that the tightening cycle is over because the economy is weakening the budget deficits are about to skyrocket you know depending on how many of these uh, tax cuts actually get passed but one thing i know for sure even if we don't pass all of the tax cuts that the president is asking for and again that simply could be you know where he's starting off and now he you know he can compromise because he's asked for so much particularly when it comes to the pass through that's going to be the biggest a place that he might have to give something on that i talked about on my last podcast on the 15% tax for pass through income But we are going to get some type of tax cut. We know for sure that it's not going to be paid for in that there's not going to be offsetting government spending cuts. There's not going to be some higher taxes someplace else, uh, you know, like the, you know, the border adjusted tax. And we're also probably going to get some increased government spending when it comes to infrastructure. So all of these larger deficits have to be financed, and the only financier That would be dumb enough to do it or has the pockets deep enough to do it because they just print whatever they need and they don't care about the consequence is the Federal Reserve. So given the fact that we're going to have more deficits and that the economy is weak and it's going to need a stimulus, the Federal Reserve is going to cooperate. And after all, uh, you know, President Trump has already indicated that Janet Yellen may not be toast. And how does she avoid being toast? Well, she, you know, cooperates and tries to provide stimulus to the economy, which means you don't raise interest rates, especially into a weakening economy. You've got GDP growth this week. Why are you going to raise interest rates? I mean, all you can do is point to the increasing inflation, but no one cares about that. And when it comes to a trade-off, if you ask the Federal Reserve, what are you more concerned about, inflation going above your 2% target or a recession? They're much more concerned about a recession, and they've already indicated a willingness to allow inflation to be above 2% for quite some time because they're looking at an average. They're saying, well, we were below 2% for a long time, so we can leave it above 2% for an equal amount of time, and it's all going to average out, right? So we all know that given its choice between fighting inflation and fighting recession, the Fed is going to fight recession as if you know it actually can. I mean, I don't think it can really do it, but it believes it can. And it believes it fights recession by lowering interest rates and printing money and doing all the stuff that it's done in the past. So this is what's going to happen. This is the opposite, the opposite of what the markets have been expecting, of what has been priced in. The uh, Europeans released their inflation numbers today, today, and year over year, inflation in the eurozone, right? Some countries are higher, some countries are lower, but the eurozone overall Year over year, consumer prices up 1.9%. That is it. That is Mario Draghi's objective. I think this is a four year high in uh, CPI increase in the Eurozone. But if you remember all along, what has Mario Draghi said? He said the ECB's goal is to get inflation close to but below 2%, meaning they don't even want 2%, they want to be close to it but still be below it. Well, what is that? Well, 1.9. That's about as close as you're going to get. I mean, I doubt that Draghi is going to think, well, 1.9 isn't quite enough. I'm going to go for 1.99. I mean, think about it. If you're actually saying that 2% is too high, right? Because they don't want 2%. He always goes out of his way to say, we want to get close to, but we don't want to touch 2%. Like it's somehow that that's like that, that third rail, right? I mean, it's, If you touch 2%, you're going to electrocute yourself. So you just got to get really, really close to it without touching it. Now, I would say if 2% is so dangerous that you don't even want to go there, why even let yourself get that close? Why not keep a bigger buffer, right? Why not like, okay, if we get to one and a half, then we're going to try to make sure it doesn't get any higher. Because then at least if it gets higher, you know, you still got a little bit of a cushion, between that third rail i mean if you let it get to 1.9 and you still haven't done anything you still haven't taken your foot off the gas let alone tapping the brake right i know i hate to use that car analogy uh, because that's what the bankers always use but if you're up at 1.9 why why take a chance what if the next print is 2.1 what if they're on the other side of that line now what are they going to do because now they're above two percent they said they would stay below two percent i mean 1.9 percent as far as draghi was concerned This is economic nirvana. We're here. Well, if we're here and we don't want to go any further than where we are, then how does Draghi justify more stimulus, right? If we we don't want to go above 1.9, then take your foot off the gas, right? Go to neutral, right? I mean, try to get a neutral rate that's not too easy or not too tight because you don't dare risk going any further because this is 1.9. You can't get any closer to 2% than where you are, right? You Obviously, they're still doing QE. They've still got, you know, negative rates. How can they have this policy? They can't hide behind that. Well, you know, we're still trying to get inflation up to 1.9 because they've got to 1.9. I mean, what, they're going to say, well, we want to make sure it stays at 1.9. Well, but they've already said they can't let it go to 2. What if it goes to 2 or 2.1? You know, and the whole idea... That 2% inflation is bad, but 1.9 is perfect. But like 1.8 isn't even good, right? We got to get higher. It's never high enough until we hit two. I mean, this is how nonsensical and irrational people who are running the world's central banks are. That A, they think that they have divined the ideal interest rate that produces economic growth, right? They have decided in their infinite wisdom that 1.9% is it right? And that 1% is no good, 2% is no good, but 1.9, that's perfect, right? They decided that. But what's almost even worse than them believing that they have divined the ideal inflation rate is that they actually have the power to hit it on the head and keep it there. Because even if they were right, even if this were the best rate of inflation for an economy, to believe that you can actually do that, it's like trying to land a fighter pilot, not on an aircraft carrier, but maybe on a pinhead, you know, I mean, to believe that you have so much precision that you can hit this mark and stay there and stay there. Because when Draghi is saying that, you know, we don't want to get to 2%, but y'all, we want to get right at 1.9%. How are you going to do that? It is impossible. But of course, the whole thing is irrational. Because 1.9% is not better than 1.8. It's not better than 1. It's not better than 0. 0.5. It do, inflation doesn't go from being too low to too high. right? It doesn't go from being bad to good to bad. It, it, it's actually very consistent. And especially when you're measuring it by consumer prices. So consumer prices going up is a bad thing. Right? The more they go up, the worse it is. Consumer prices going down is a good thing. The more they go down, the better it is. It is not bad. There is nothing to fear, right? And that is consistent logic. So in my view of the world, if consumer prices go down by 2%, we're better off. We can buy the things that we need, 2% cheaper. That means we can buy more stuff, right? We have a higher standard of living. If consumer prices go down by 1%, we're still better off, but we're not as better off as if they went down by 2%. If consumer prices are flat, well, it's not as good as consumer prices going down, but it's better than consumer prices going up. If consumer prices go up 1%, okay, it's not terrible. I have to spend 1% more than I did last year for the things that I need. Not a disaster. You know, maybe my income went up too. Maybe I can afford it. If consumer prices go up 2%, okay, well, it's not as good as them only going up 1%, because now I got to pay 2% more. See, I'm consistent. Price increases are bad and and no price increases are better than some price increases and price reductions are better than you know no reductions and the bigger the reduction the better it is but the keynesians are inconsistent because they ask you to believe that if prices fall that's bad if they remain the same that's also bad but if they rise by more than two percent that's bad but if they somehow rise by one and a half percent to two percent, then that's good. But if it's below that, it's bad. If it's above that, I mean, none of this makes sense. This is all a bunch of nonsense. But meanwhile, when inflation in the eurozone was below one percent, Draghi was determined, determined to get it up to one point nine. I mean, if one point nine is good and you're at one, I mean, I mean, that's good enough. You're, You're practically there. If you look at, you know, this, this scheme of things, right? I mean, prices could fall by 5 or 10% in one year. They can rise by 5 or 10%. If your goal is to get close to but below 2% and you're at one5 then, you know, call it a day. You That's close enough. You've achieved your goal. But no, no, no. They want to keep on putting the pedal to the metal because, nope, we want to get closer. We want to get closer, right? It's like, you know, I want to get as close as I can to the sun without getting burned. Well, you know what? You know, it's pretty difficult to do that. And unfortunately they 're going to get burned because I think inflation in uh, in the eurozone is going to move above uh, the two percent level, so I think the ECB is going to be forced into a tightening uh, you know bias and actually raising rates, whether they want to do it or not meanwhile the the Fed is going to be easing so this divergence is the opposite. The foreign exchange markets are prepared for the opposite of this to occur. And right now, everybody still seems to be in denial because I think they're still living under this Trump victory uh, cloud, this illusion of everything is going to be great. America is going to be great. We're going to have all this economic growth. Uh, We're going to have this renaissance. We're going to have these huge tax cuts. It's going to be Ronald Reagan all over again. Uh, And so the economy is going to boom. Jobs are going to boom. The dollar. I mean, all this fantasy is ignoring reality. And at some point, reality is going to catch up to the fantasy and people are going to start to pay attention to all the data that they have been ignoring. And even the Federal Reserve, I said, is going to have to start to pay attention to all the bad data. They will not be able to continue to pretend uh, that everything is fine as the numbers clearly show that the you know, the bottom is dropping out of the economy. But just as the bottom is dropping out of the U.S. economy, you know, we're blowing the roof off uh, the official inflation numbers in the eurozone. And if the eurozone does not react to inflation above two percent based on their own measures, then they will lose whatever credibility they had because it was only inflation being below that so-called target. Uh That was the basis for the easy money policies. Well, if inflation rises above that level and they don't abort those policies, then the markets realize that those policies had nothing to do with inflation being below 2%, which I believe to be true. Obviously, if your economy is in trouble, if unemployment is high and if the economy is in trouble, the lower the consumer prices are the easier the burden that the economy has to bear. I mean, it's, it's good news if prices aren't rising. I mean, if you have an unemployment problem, why would you want to compound it compounded with a rising cost of living, right? And if you have a debt problem, I mean, why do you want to compound the problem with with inflation? If people have too much interest to pay, I mean, let them catch a break on their other on their goods and services. So I don't think low inflation was ever the real reason that the ecb was doing what it was doing but it was just the excuse same thing in the united states i mean they they use these low cpi numbers as an excuse to keep interest rates low even though the government has already rigged those numbers to get them low if we had a more honest number uh, then inflation rates measured inflation would be much higher but then the fed would have a hard time uh, convincing the markets that the reason it is printing all this money and keeping interest rates so low is because it wants higher inflation. That's not really what it wants. It wants to inflate asset bubbles. It wants to keep real estate prices and stock prices and bond prices from imploding. And it wants to uh, prevent sovereigns from defaulting. I mean, the the Fed wants to keep interest rates low uh, because the U.S. government is in debt and because the U.S. government has to pay interest on that debt. And if interest rates went up, then the cost of servicing that debt would go up. But of course, the central bankers don't want to tell the truth. They don't want to say the real reason that they're keeping interest rates so low and doing quantitative easing. So they make up a reason because the truth, they, they, no, one, no one can handle the truth. So they spoon feed a lie, but so many people can't even figure out how ridiculous the lie is. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. It stretches uh, the bounds of credulity when these, central, when these economists and central bankers are trying to convince us. That a rising cost of living is a good thing. And they have to save us from the, the, the pain of having to or being able to buy things for less money. They want to make sure that everything we need to buy costs more money every year and supposedly is for our own good. If we if, if we didn't have to ha- pay higher prices, we'd all stop shopping. You know, we only want to buy things if they're more expensive. If for some reason the price goes down, we're just going to close our wallets and refuse to buy. Right. This is the nonsense that they spew, but people believe it. I mean, there are people with PhDs in economics who who believe this nonsense. Uh, but you know, it, it is it is nothing but nonsense. So we'll see what happens. You know, so far the reaction to the market has been muted, but the economic data that has been weakening and weakening is going to continue to weaken. The only data that has been strong has been measures of confidence, and it's just about people being excited about the prospects of what they think the Trump administration is going to bring. A lot of it is just a relief from the fact that Obama is not president anymore and that Hillary Clinton isn't going to be the next president. There was a lot of fear that Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president. And now there's relief that that's not the case. And there's some optimism here. Trump was a bit of an unknown political quantity. People didn't really know what to expect, but they knew that it couldn't be as bad as what they had gone through. I mean, this was a case of the devil that people didn't know, basically being better than the one that they did. And all the talk about tax cuts and deregulation got everybody excited. Meanwhile, the actual hard economic data has been weakening uh, the entire time. Again, this is one of the reasons that I feel Trump did himself a disservice by quickly claiming credit for what he believed to be the good things that were happening in the economy, because by taking ownership of this economy so quickly, when it falls off the rails and we enter recession, that's his recession. Had he not taken credit and maintained the same type of critical uh, you know, rhetoric that he did as a candidate, had he continued to say the economy is in trouble, things are not good because of all the bad things that happened before I got here, then as we went into re- recession, he could have said, I told you so. He could have said, I knew this recession was coming. It's been coming for years and it's going to be a disaster based on all the bad things that happened before I got here. Instead, he immediately takes credit for the numbers, for the stock market. And so now it's going to be a lot harder for him. I'm not saying he won't try to do it, but he it will be a much harder thing to do. He'll look more disingenuous if all of a sudden he's like, oh, this all these great things are happening because of me. Oh, wait a minute. Now bad things are happening. Well, that's not because of me. That's because of uh, Obama. You know, it makes it difficult for you to do that when you're not being consistent. But in the meantime... I think my economic forecasts are panning out exactly uh, the way I thought as far as the big picture. You know, is everything happening precisely uh, the way I said? No, right? Did The Fed did raise interest rates a little bit. But, you know, I even said one of the reasons I thought they wouldn't raise rates, I thought they'd be smart enough not to do it because I knew That any rate hikes would only accelerate the move back into recession and the Fed would look foolish when it had to abort the tightening campaign and begin to ease. And I probably overestimated uh, their intelligence in that respect because they raised rates anyway, even though they are going to have to reverse course. But again, they have barely raised rates, which is something i said. They've never shrunk the balance sheet. My prediction on that is still bang on. I've been saying that since Bernanke was fed chairman and he was saying he was going to shrink the balance sheet and i kept saying it's never going to happen the balance sheet is going to keep growing and in fact i believe it is going to grow and once the balance sheet really starts to grow again and once the federal reserve has to reverse course and cut rates again then the markets will figure out this game because if the fed wasn't able to normalize interest rates before how will they be able to do it again if they have to go through another recession and they have to cut rates again and then they're going to pretend that after that recession is over, then they're going to normalize. Well, who's going to believe them? Because if they could do it, they would have already done it. And if the Fed has to take its balance sheet from $4.5 up to 5 6 $7, 10000000000000 to fight off this next recession, and then they try to bluff the markets the whole time that, well, when this recession ends, we're going to shrink our balance sheet, who's going to believe that? I mean, if they couldn't shrink a $4.5 trillion dollar balance sheet, what prayer are they going to have of, of shrinking – a balance sheet twice that size. They won't have a snowball's chance in hell of shrinking a balance sheet that's twice as big as the one that they already couldn't shrink. And the markets will know that, and the bottom will drop out of the dollar and ultimately out of the treasury bond market, and we will experience the real crash. And the Federal Reserve will ultimately find itself in that predicament where it has to choose between the lesser of two evils in its mind. One is a financial crisis worse than 2008 where they raise interest rates dramatically or allow rates to rise and let the chips fall where they may, let the stock market crash, let the bond market crash, let the real estate market crash, let banks fail, let investors lose money, let depositors lose money, and force the government to default on its debt and and, and tell bondholders they're not going to get paid, or it chooses massive inflation. To avoid all that, it just sacrifices the dollar, and we have runaway inflation, hyperinflation, but those are the two outcomes. You know, ultimately, that they're going to have to choose from. I do believe, though, that that choice still might be a few years away because I still think the dollar can fall rather substantially from here. You know, the last time the dollar index fell, it bottomed out around seventy. So I think this time it might be able to fall as low as sixty uh, before anybody really gets nervous. You remember the the low before seventy was eighty. And so the dollar index crashed down to 80, then it recovered. Then it went down to 70, then it recovered. So if it goes down to 60, people might think, oh, it's a normal cycle. But at some point, it's going to break through that level. Inflation is going to really start running out of control. The Fed's credibility is really going to be out on the line. Look, Paul Volcker did not want to raise interest rates to 20%, believe me, but he did it anyway. Right? Well, we're going to be at that point in time again where we're going to have to do something desperate. We're going to have to do something very, very aggressive. Uh, to, to to plug the hole in this ship. The problem is, if we try to raise interest rates anywhere near that magnitude now, the impact on the economy would be much greater because the economy is in much worse shape and the debt is much larger. So it is going to be a much more difficult decision for the Federal Reserve to do the right thing and much you know easier for the Fed to do the wrong thing. But the costs are enormous. The costs of doing the wrong thing, the risk of runaway or hyperinflation, is enormous so hopefully the Fed doesn't go that direction but you know don't don't bet against it, right you gotta you gotta hope for the best but you better plan for the worst
1: today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators they scream that the recovery is strong debt is manageable inflation is low and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control they may be oblivious but the danger is real If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Pacific Capital and Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.
0: Hi, this is Peter Schiff. And long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10 percent of their portfolios into physical precious metals.